we have a special guest joining us for this cold open. We have our eldest, Chrislet. Say hi. Hello, everybody. Hey, buddy. Can you tell everybody how old you are? I'm four. Yes, you are. What are we doing, buddy? What are we talking about? Wonder Woman. Who is that? Sissy. Cersei. Oh, no. Is Cersei nice or mean? Mean. What do we have to do to be a star like Wonder Woman? Be prepared. Be prepared. Be kind. Be kind. Be brave. Be brave and... Be honest. Uh Uh-huh. Be strong. Strong. And be heroic. Be heroic. Good job, buddy. Yeah, and if we are prepared, kind, brave, honest, strong, and heroic, will we be just like Wonder Woman? Yeah. 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 Is Wonder Woman good? Yeah. Do you like Wonder Woman? Yeah. Who does Wonder Woman stop? Wonder Woman stops, sis. Yeah, she does. That's right. Which which superhero do you like the best, buddy? Um, Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman? Oh. Why do you like her? Um, super. Oh, is she super? Yes, super. Do you like Batman? Yeah. What does Batman say? These are over. Mm-hmm. What pajamas are you wearing, buddy? Superman. Superman. What does Superman do? Are you ready for bed? No. Do you want to stay up and talk about comics? Let's talk about comics. Yes! I'm Christina Edelman. And I'm Chris Edelman. And this is Chris's on Infinite Earths. The podcast where nothing will ever be the same. Welcome, readers, to our second episode of War of the Gods. Yep, and this is our final episode of War of the Gods as we wrap up this very chunky crossover. We we like chunky things, but maybe not this. No, I like uh, Chunky Monkey. Uh Uh-huh. And, um... Chunky peanut butter. Chunky peanut butter. Yeah, this one's... This crossover's maybe just a little too chunky. Just just a a bit too much chunk. Maybe not enough chunk. Maybe too much of the chunk happens elsewhere. Yeah. It's a... It's mashed potato-y in that it's kind of... It's a lumpy crossover. (laughs) Eee. But before we get started, readers, we wanted to make a little announcement... In that we started a Patreon before they decided to kind of mess with all the pricing. We kind of uh, Indiana Jones our way in right under the, the closing door. No worries. Our hat is A-OK. Yes. Anyway, one of the stipulations is if you support us at the $1 level on our Patreon, www.patreon.com slash Pod, And we have started, before we've even announced it on the show, with four patrons so this episode is brought to you by all of our patrons here at chris's on infinite earths like josh hall bachner thank you josh and chris osborne thank you chris 
and Xavier Files. <laughs> Thank you, Xavier. <laughs> and WMQ Comics. Thank you, WMQ Comics. Speaking of WMQ Comics, if you haven't, I had a Mother's Day article go up on their site where I talk all about uh, what Spider-Woman taught me about being a mom. So you should check that out. It was their most read article last week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we wanted to say thank you to all of those people for supporting us on Patreon. Um, you should check us out if you haven't yet. There are some interesting levels you can... Not only have your name read out, but you can also suggest future crossovers to go into the voting polls or even force us against our will to do a crossover mm-hmm. of your choice. Mm-hmm. And Chris really cannot complain about that option, um, given what he had Battle of the Atom cover. That's true. I did make them cover the Draco very much against their will. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it would serve him right. It would serve me right. <laughs> Uh, So please give us money to make me feel bad. (laughs) Anyway, let's, without further ado, get into this very large, very weighty crossover with the summary. Summary. War of the Gods number three, written by George Perez, penciled by George Perez, inked by Russell Braun, Vince Gerano, Scott Hanna, Pablo Marcos, and Romeo Tangal. Colored by Gene D'Angelo. Lettered by Albert de Guzman. Edited by Karen Berger, Bob Kahn, and Tom Payer. It seems quite a bit has happened in tie-ins between issues, perish the thought, as Black Adam and the Suicide Squad have invaded Cersei's domain and are right outside her walls. She decides to sick her Bonamigdal and Bestiamorph henchfolk on them. We then zoom back to the Greek first Roman god fight, where it seems as though things have only gotten worse after Zeus's departure, as Hephaestus is hearing a voice in his forge, which causes him to plunge his hands into the fire, which explodes? Also back on Earth, it appears as though the son of Vulcan has commandeered the robots known as the Metal Men for some strange purpose. Harmonia and Hermes are still chilling in limbo, specifically the limbo of Cronus, When Wonder Woman shows up, fresh from her tie-in, with her unconscious and previously mind-controlled mother in her arms. At least we know where she is now. Hermes had planned to trap Cersei in this realm, which seems to affect godly power, so that Wonder Woman could kill her. Wonder Woman is not into this plan at all, and returns to Thymascara. Harmonia likewise leaves, leaving Hermes to pout alone. The magical users have some plans for Animal Man back in Salem, specifically using his animal connection to mess with those bestiomorphs. The Suicide Squad fights all those bestiomorph creatures on Cersei's stronghold. Black Adam manages to break in and finally find Cersei, but she uses the powers of the Egyptian god Set to strip Black Adam of his abilities. Later, the Suicide Squad finds him in terror before he flies off. Dr. Kazlak is still escaping Cersei's base, while two of Cersei's Amazon prisoners, Nemocene and Tamandra, freed by Pythia a few issues ago, decide not to let him die by Bestiamorph, but he unfortunately goes right off a cliff into the ocean? Oops. 
Hawkman and Hawkwoman catch up with Hawkwoman's gear that Wonder Woman had borrowed in a tie-in. The radio is going off, though, as Batman is trying to reach Wonder Woman to tell her the U.S. military is going to bomb Thymascara. Uh-oh. Nemocene and Timandra are losing ground to the Beasties, and they decide to dive off a cliff into the ocean, where they are saved by Aquaman and his companion Dolphin. The Suicide Squad busts in via teleport to confront Cersei, who uses her magic to imprison Captain Boomerang in Nightshade, while killing Javelin with his own weapon. Things are getting dark. Wonder Woman leaves Limbo through dark portals just in time to see fighter jets approach her home. The pilots interpret the portals as more Amazon tricks, which is honestly just not helping things. Starman and the Hawks also arrive to help, which certainly endears them to the military, I'm sure. As Mars and Ares clash in Oropagus, Iris attempts to sow more discord with her golden apple before Harmonia appears to blow it to bits and trap Iris with her godly magic. No more Miss Nice Goddess of Peace. We come to Lobo, who, due to strange tie-in circumstances, come to a Bonamigdal temple in which he is fighting a bunch of Amazons. Black Adam arrives to join the fray, weakened as he is, calling the area Holy Ground. The Amazons are defeated by a huge burst of magic, and the two anti-heroes are joined by the son of Vulcan, the Metal Men, and Shazam? who tells Black Adam his help is needed because Billy Batson lies on a stone table inside, apparently dying. Cersei's magic is finally reaching a huge apex as her bestiomorphs burst in to tell her they don't feel so good, Mr. Stark. They turn from creature to human to original animal. The Animal Man spell has worked. Firehawk, Silver Swan, and several Suicide Squad folks notice a laughing pariah hanging out in the sky before he seems to scream with more than one voice. That other voice being Troya, who has honestly been in pain this entire crossover. Her yell seems to snap the Greek and Roman gods out of it, realizing their tremendous error. Hermes has pulled Circe into Cronus's realm for a final fight, but uh, she seems unfazed. Harmonia and Ares continue to fight Iris and Mars before Phobos appears to attack as well, leaving Harmonia and Ares down and the bad guy scarpering. Wonder Woman makes her way back to Thymascara proper with several Suicide Squad members and Aquaman in tow, just in time for Cersei to appear, holding the sizzling skeleton of Hermes. Wonder Woman curses Cersei and tries to strike, but Cersei puts up a force field spell while also using the sand beneath Wonder Woman's feet to bind her. This is the very sand that was used to create Wonder Woman by her mother way back when, and Cersei uses a spell to revert Wonder Woman back to the sand. Oh no. Cersei books it to finish her world-ending spell before we see the psychedelic visage of New Olympus appear over Themyscira. And back at Troya's husband's apartment, Pariah appears in bed? Weird. War of the Gods number 4, written by George Perez, penciled by George Perez, inked by Pablo Marcos, Alan Kupperberg, Phil Jimenez, Gordon Purcell, Dick Giordano, and Frank McLaughlin. Colored by Jean D'Angelo, lettered by Albert de Guzman, edited by Bob Kahn, Karen Berger, and Tom Pyre. Cave Carson and crew are dutifully taking seismic measurements as the fights of the Roman and Greek gods cause incredibly huge disasters across the planet. Guess they didn't realize their error after all? 
Superman, Starman, and Guy Gardner are orbiting the Earth, observing New Olympus grow larger and larger as it threatens to overtake the Earth. Back on the ground, all the DC heroes prepare for a final desperate raid on Cersei. They're gathering on Thymascara, the last place Cersei was seen. The Amazons make weapons again, right after they had destroyed them in a time of peace. Hippolyta is still unconscious, and seemingly out of nowhere, Pariah, Lady Quark, and Harbinger have joined up with the crew. In true crossover fashion, Harbinger seems to know a ton about what's going on. In Gaia's womb, yep, you heard that right, Diana, in disembodied form, converses with Dead Man, Phantom Stranger, and the Spectre. It turns out Cersei's spell didn't really work as well as she thought, and they have a cunning plan. The heroes, led by Superman, of course, attack New Olympus, trying to hold off the gods from fighting, as well as the beastie morphs. Yeah, we thought they were gone, too. Meanwhile, the Flash and Starman try to rescue Donna Troy, but the disorienting nature of Olympus leads to some follies. Heracles and many Amazons sneak under Thymascara through the underworld. Hephaestus, after barely surviving his own forge exploding, now throws his hands into Hestia's hearth, possibly under the influence of Vulcan. After the son of Vulcan uses his powers to put Lobo to sleep, we get to hear the origin of the wizard Shazam grabbing all those gods' powers for his champion. Also, the conflict within Captain Marvel between his Greek and Roman god powers threatens to neutralize the spell which made him, so son of Vulcan and Harmonia had to use their abilities to grab all the gods who make up the Shazam spell, Pokemon style, and store their power in the Metal Men. The wizard Shazam has to recreate the spell, but needs Diana to do it. Harbinger shows up to grab the son of Vulcan as he is needed in New Olympus to free Donna Troy. He grabs Lobo as well as he has a sneaky plan. Cersei gloats over her impending victory as Ares sends Harmonia on to the place that gods go when they die. He then turns to Mars and shows him the truth in his own eyes. Apocalypse and New Genesis prepare for the final conflict. Again. But Harbinger shows up to tell them that their conflict only feeds Cersei's spell. In another of her bodies, she stands next to Pariah and Lady Quark, the latter of which joins Son of Vulcan and Lobo on their journey. On Earth, the Beastiomorphs attack Gotham City, but didn't we get rid of them? Cersei needs more power for her spell work, and as such absorbs the godly power of Eris, which kills the goddess of Discord. The son of Vulcan arrives on New Olympus to strike at Cersei, but she smites him with a spell as Hephaestus burns up in the fire of Hestia's forge. Pretty sure it's Vulcan's fault. As Cersei prepares to absorb the son of Vulcan's powers, it turns out they've been placed elsewhere, into Lobo. Lobo rescues Troia, but what will he do next? The gods of war have finally gotten their act together and united in their aims to stop the conflict, the message of which they broadcast to all of New Olympus. Hades realizes that Hecate is working through Circe, and Circe enacts her final gambit, resurrecting the dead of DC in skeletal form to act as her foot soldiers. But now the ritual is ready. Hippolytus starts to reform Diana and the powers of Shazam are channeled from the Metal Men through Billy Batson. Cersei notices this and sends a huge spell to kill Hippolyta. Superman partially intercepts it, but a portion of the spell still fireballs down, only for the Oracle Menelipe to dive in to save Hippolyta, dying in the process. The ritual is successful, and Cersei is transported back to the realm of Cronus, only to be confronted by Troya and a fully armored Wonder Woman. She's gonna get it now. 
Cersei unleashes a huge spell, but Wonder Woman deflects it using a talisman through Donna Troy, who is a portal back to New Olympus, apparently. Representatives of the gods are on the other side, and they use their power combined with the powers of Cronus to recall Cersei and Hecate. They are defeated. New Olympus goes back to its heavenly plane, and the Greek gods decide to leave the realm of Earth, leaving those Roman gods in charge. Everything goes back to normal for the most part, and the heroes mourn those that have fallen. The end! What a summary. What a summary. So much happens, and yet I feel like you don't even understand everything of what happens because there's there's too much that happens in the tie-ins. Yes, I think that that is a problem that we brought up specifically with the first installment of Chris's is that you'll just go, oh, I guess this happened, and then just have to kind of continue on. And it's really frustrating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... This issue with tie-ins. Yes. I've been trying to decide what types of tie-ins I like the best. Or do I even like tie-ins at all? Hmm. So you're having an existential tie-in crisis. I really am. I've, you know, I love, I love the checklist, but sometimes you get frustrated when you read this tie-in and it's like, well, this didn't, you didn't really have to read this to get the story or like you read the tie-in and then like half of the content of the tie-in is in the main story. So you didn't really have to read the tie-in. That's true. Or like this, where like you just got this, these huge gaps of knowledge because you didn't read the tie-ins. I guess it's considered a non-essential stuff, but it seems more essential in this than in most things. Yeah. This also has that, specific issue of labeling things as part x of 20 or whatever mm-hmm. so you feel like if you get war of the gods one and two and then suddenly you're missing 15 parts you're like what's going on right so it was definitely a frustrating barrier to reading this crossover because i i mean i feel like there there's some things that I can just go by my philosophy of, eh, it's comics, you know, you just kind of try to glaze over your gaps in knowledge. But it felt like that a lot. I don't know if this is necessarily a gap of knowledge when you're in the middle of reading a story. Right. I get if you jump into X-Men and you don't know the current X-Men status quo, but you just keep going. Right. It's not going to suddenly, like, between Uncanny number 20 and Uncanny number 1 be completely different, you know? Right. Whereas this kind of is like at the end of the of issue two, we see Black Adam like hanging out with the Suicide Squad, and then the next issue they're like pals and they're fighting Cersei and trying to rescue Poison Ivy, and you're like, what? Right? It's yeah. There's there's a lot you miss. Yeah, and in fact, our summary I tried to make it sort of plot relevant to the main story with still kind of putting things in as they as they are like wonder woman discovers that her mother has been captured and brainwashed in between issues of this right i feel like that's a really key thing because if you don't read that tie-in you come in like what what happened to hippolyta she was she was like missing we didn't know where she was and now suddenly wonder woman's like holding her her dying body yeah what it's real it's real bizarre. I'm sure we we can really get stuck on it all day, but we have some goose to make, Christy. 
Yeah. Like how at the beginning of issue three, Cersei is clearly eating Mikos because he is barbecued bird now. Yeah, yeah, that was that's gonna be my silly villainy, but I guess I can spoil it now. <laughs> so it's, yep. She it's like a warning to the other Beastiomorphs. Like, Cersei I don't think you're gonna taste you. as good. Um, uh, but I'll eat you if you mess up. <laughs> Cersei's scary. <laughs> Yeah. If you mess up, she eats you. <laughs> Only if you're a tasty... Like, wasn't he a pigeon, though? She's he was like some eating... kind of bird. And she's just eating... It looks like she's, like, just taking, like, a hank of chicken. Right. He was not a chicken. No, it would have been much more lean and dry, I think. I don't oh, think it would have been that tasty. I would have enjoyed him as a chicken, though. <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't have been very useless. He wouldn't have been able to fly. Chickens can kind of fly, just not that well for very long. They can kind of go up and Yeah, down. not in, like, any sort of useful stealth fashion or... Right. Ugh. My So my theory was spoiled um, a little bit later on in that Cave Carson does actually seem to understand that they're superheroes. Mm-hmm. That's a real bummer. I was thinking we could keep it going for a really long time. But I do love that his role in every crossover is to tell us that things are, things are not normal. Right? It's kind of fun. He's kind of like our, I don't know, our, our, our Bill Nye. Our, the, the, that's very relevant today as Bill Nye released a climate change video. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Cave Carson is like the, the, the seismology of the earth is changing way too fast. And this one, this one's not human cost. Mm-hmm. Is... He's like, it, it doesn't even make sense that the world still exists right now. <laughs> that's wild. <laughs> we shouldn't be allowed to be here. And who's he talking to? Is there somebody that... He's got a partner there with him or something, True, but I wonder, is he, like, relaying this back to, like... Is he reporting it? Or is this, like, he's, like... Does he have his recorder? Carson's log. (laughs) (laughs) uh, I've been doing a lot of caving recently, but now I'm standing on top of Antarctica and looking at a needle go back and forth and things are real messed up. I'm glad that he was there to tell us since we didn't see any of the superheroes fighting or like the holes being ripped in the sky or like the gods fighting. But yeah, it needles. would have been really difficult for us to gauge just how bad things were if it weren't for, you know, Cave Carson's reports. <laughs> I just, I'm really stuck on Cave Carson just existing in these crossovers. He went in a big cave in crisis and was like, holy heck. You know what I wanted more of? <laughs> what? Cleary on the witch boy. Yeah, he is only in issue one. He is integral, and the only evidence we see of him later on are footprints on the beach. They mention a child's footprints, and that's specifically Clarion the Witch Boy. Mm-hmm. And he just shows up, messes up a spell, and decides to leave. Yeah, yeah. The only reason that Wonder Woman doesn't, like, become fully unmade and winds up back in Gaia's womb is because Clarion the Witch Boy messes with Cersei's spell. Yeah. And then he's just like, wow, that was fun. All right, I'm off. But we don't see that happen. We just kind of have to infer that. Well, it's mentioned later, but they say Clarion messed up the spell. But Cersei's casting so many spells, it's hard to know which one. Right. So you just kind of default to the last spell that Cersei cast. Right. That was, well, uh, yeah. And I specifically looked it up using some annotations. Shout out, by the way, to Crisis on Earth Prime, which is a website that has a lot of annotations for confusing DC crossovers. Which is very helpful for me, so I was <laughs> using quite a bit of their annotations so we wouldn't have to really delve into the tie-ins. Whew, thank you. Thank you to him. It's it's a whole 
lot. I would not have wanted to read this as it was coming out. I'm I'm not either, and I'm not even certain if it's particularly like... It seems to follow kind of the same formula almost that we got with Crisis, which is like, we have something that's a stopgap, then a bunch of heroes are off doing other things, a bad thing's a bad thing happens. They all band together. The sorcerers are all doing a ritual. The ritual <laughs> happens. Boom! We beat the bad guy. I feel like something like that very similar happened with Crisis. It seems like DC sorcerers in crossovers don't get to do individual things. They all have to kind of like stand there with their hands up, like they're like right. in the middle of church. Right. The hero sorcerers can't seem to do too much on their own, whereas the villainous ones. Yeah, Cersei's, like, ungodly powerful. She is incredible. Considering she has the power of, like, one god, she can, like, she is somehow more powerful than, like, all of the other gods. Right. Terrifying. Right. So, but yeah, all the DC sorcerers, including, like, some of the really heavy hitters don't seem to be able to just take her on, which is wild. Do you remember when the Spectre in Crisis on Infinite Earths kind of, like, had a sparring match with the Anti-Monitor for a little bit there? Yes. Apparently he couldn't do that this time. He kind of shows up for a second. Phantom Stranger couldn't either. The Spectre is literally the spirit of God's vengeance. Which which God in this case? (laughs) In this it's like, I think, capital G Abrahamic God, but I'm not 100% Which is kind of interesting to think about that in DC, considering that this is like the War of the Gods and, you know, that God capital G is... They, Very they, absent. They do not bring up Abraham. Yeah, that's a can of worms. You don't. You don't right. bring Abraham and God right. into into comic crossovers. Right. There's too many people it, you'll you'll make upset. Right, but it it makes it feel like you know the DC universe is like a is a is a universe where where that does not exist. So to have it exist, but, but it does in the right. form of the Spectre. And there's angels in the DC universe that are like angels from heaven. So it's a weird. It's a weird line. Lucifer exists in the DC universe. Like, it feels very arbitrary. Well, yeah, it's it's a lot of stuff can exist from like Abrahamic sort of traditions as long as it seems like you don't bring up like actual like capital G God or or Allah or like Jesus. Right. It seems like everything else is fair game. The Phantom Stranger might be Judas Iscariot. Uh, he also has like some possible other origins. There's angels. There's demons. There's there is like Lucifer, like the big. He's the big. Yes. Demon. Nope, nobody else. I'm sorry. I just it is interesting what they can kind of do and not do, or what what decides to be okay and not okay. Right. Well, we do have like very very many other gods in this. Just gobs of them. Gobs and gobs. Yep. Gobs of gods. Gobs of gods. Say that. Five times fast. Gobs of gods, gobs of gods, gobs of gods. <laughs> you got me. You got me good. So who takes the most casualties in this, and why is it definitely the Suicide Squad? Poor Javelin gets completely wrecked by Cersei, and it's awful. I love when I turn to you. I'm like, who's the guy that gets killed by the Javelin? Javelin. <laughs> You're like, oh. <laughs> Clearly he's very important. Oh. But that that was like that I I got like a little viscerally upset at that where he's like trying to flee. Right? It's, it's I think it's the only bit of like blood that we see. 
other than there's the little bit where the beastie amorphs have killed the cult that worships Wonder Woman. Oh, yes. Yes. Because there's... Hey, the... there's a cult that worships Wonder Woman. I didn't really put it in the summary because it is... In terms of this story, not of the utmost importance, but there's a cult that worships Wonder Woman and they're on an island and the Beastie Amorphs got on the island and killed all of them. And then some random sailors were on the island and eventually tried to fight off the Beastie Amorphs. Well, yeah, I was trying trying to remember, were the sailors looking for anything in particular? Were they looking for Cersei? Or, I don't know, they just happened upon it? Why was that important enough to put in the main story? Maybe... I'm betting that the cult that worships Wonder Woman was part of the the big Perez run, and they maybe wanted to wrap it up with oh. all of their deaths. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> That's what you get for worshiping a kind person. Apparently, I don't know if Wonder Woman was super fond of them worshiping her. I don't think that would be something that she'd be into. Right. I don't think she really wanted God status. She no. she was she was chill with princess. Yep. And then we kind of don't get Wonder Woman for much of the remainder of the story. She is mostly dirt. Yeah, clay. Clay. She's unmade. Yep. So, I mean, but she does have like a moment where her consciousness in Gaia's womb gets to talk to like Phantom Stranger. And the dead man. Yeah. Yeah. And they're like, hey, 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 things are still good. You just wait a little bit. It does seem odd. So we maybe have to explain the ritual a little bit that they're trying to do. So they have the Harmonia and Son of Vulcan decide that they're going to grab all these gods because they're going to need to remake the Shazam spell. Yes. And so that's what they've been doing the entire time. So anytime lightning bolts in the previous two issues have grabbed gods, it is their doing. Mm-hmm. And they put them in the Metal Men, who are some robots. Right. Who, they all have metal names. They're like lead and mercury and platinum. And, well, anyway, they, they never... They very fun. Yeah, they're very fun. They never talk, which makes me wonder if they actually, like, have any say in the matter. <laughs> they seem to be just kind of, like, going along with it. Yeah, at the end, after the ritual's completed, they're like, yeah, we, we kind of wiped their minds. We hope, we hope they're still all right, but all right. <laughs> Unimportant. And so they've stored the gods' essences inside them, and they need to use Diana to bring back the Shazam spell. But they also need the Shazam spell to bring back Diana. And I don't know if they thought that one through. <laughs> it's They specifically say something like, we need Diana to finish the spell. And they're like, we need the power of the gods to awaken Diana. And I'm like, oh, jeez. <laughs> I love that they kind of get into the, the, we have Shazam explaining the, the Shazam spell and why the gods that Shazam gets power from really don't make sense in list form. Yeah, they really, they really did a great job explaining that, right? Since you could tell, like, I think I've said this before, the list of Shazam gods yes. seems like it took like 30 seconds and they're like, nailed it. And now they're like, oh, we really we got to figure out why this is this way. All these competing pantheons and also Solomon. Right. <laughs> like the guy, he's not a god. Definitely not. Uh, a king of Israel. Um, <laughs> so Shazam is like, Solomon was my good buddy before I called myself Shazam. I'm like, <laughs> Okay. Yep. <laughs> and what? Like, we wanted to get 
we wanted to get Heracles, but he wasn't available. Yeah. So we got Hercules. We got Hercules instead. <laughs> we got Bargain Bin Heracles. <laughs> then we got Atlas, and then we got Zeus, and then we got... I don't remember. Oh, and then he got Achilles, the hero. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So not also not a god. <laughs> but at least from a, from a Greco-Roman mythology. And then Mercury. Not Hermes, Mercury. Mm-hmm. And he was like, wow, I got this weird sort of like sort of goulash of of deity like powers so i better put it in a champion and then he was like this is black adam's not a very good champion i'm gonna i'm gonna need a small boy from the 1900s (laughs) oh yeah it's i really struggled to understand why why um not, not that we don't want Shazam, like, back and fully powered, but why it was so integral to defeating Cersei. Um, well, it's... the Then Phantom Stranger kind of tries to explain it more. See, a lot of the problem with this whole ritual thing is it's very wordy. Like, there's not a... We have to kind of be told how this is defeating her. Like, right. we, we see her, like, kind of rotting away, which is kind of scary. But it seems like Diana had this talisman... And that reflected Cersei's spell. And Cersei's spell, and then all of her spell work, comes from Hecate, mm-hmm. who is the goddess of magic. Yeah. And that reflects through Troia, who is a care bear for, for God Portal. She's got a little... It goes through her it goes through her chest. And then the representatives of the gods, where they're like, I'm Lobo for the, for the Roman gods and all those people. I'm... Mm-hmm. The Hawks for the Thanagarian gods. They have a connection of of godness to like an even superior godness. Phantom Stranger talks about like the the Supreme begat by the Supreme. Mm-hmm. Phantom Stranger's like, Hi, uh, audience, I see you're really confused by this, and I also want to just taunt Cersei. Uh, I'm a guy wearing a fedora. What's going on? <laughs> uh, we're gonna explain this all to you. But since Cersei was also standing on Cronus, that's sort of like was like a weird sort of conduit thing. But it really all came down to the prophecy that mm-hmm. the witch dying and being born would be the end of Cersei, which is why she didn't want to kill Wonder Woman, mm-hmm. but she unmade her. But then yes. but that but essentially that was Wonder Woman dying and being reborn, which meant the prophecy happened, so she had to u- lose Hecate's powers. Yes. So really Cersei did herself here. She did. <laughs> But also conduits and beams and Care Bears. Comics that don't make sense. Conduits and beams and Care Bears. <laughs> so a lot, all that kind of happens, and that—that's the. Do you think it's? Do you think it's like a job at like DC and Marvel just to come up with the weird ways to explain the defeat of villains? I think it's kind of the writer's job, isn't I, it? They. They should dedicate just one person to coming up with these bonkers ways that I, you know, I don't think I understand, like, 90% of the time how heroes have actually solved these world-ending problems. I I just know that they do. I still remember from Chaos War, because they trapped him in another universe, and I thought that was clever. Yes. That was... That was probably, like, the clearest... That was yeah. very clear. House ending. of M didn't really have a bad guy, per se. No. 
they basically just solved it by everybody remembering. Mm-hmm. But anyway, this one's just out there. There's some other hallmarks of a DC event that I noticed, and I wanted to to quickly go through with them. Mm-hmm. So other than the fact that sorcerer, the sorcerers all have to band together and basically lose any sense of individuality and do like several little spell castings. Mm-hmm. A, they did a ritual that didn't end up actually mattering, which I feel like happened in Crisis. They did something with a bunch of the shadow people, and then I think shadow people came back. Mm-hmm. Uh, or maybe that... Maybe... Didn't they do something to cloud Cersei's mind? But I think that happened in a tie-in. Cersei's mind was clouded. They, they were kind of constantly doing that, but they eventually couldn't keep it up. Right. Um, they also had to burn uh, the fire. This is why Hephaestus had to keep tending the forge. And it was like some divine fire, which was kind of like keeping things okay until they... Keeping like Diana's clay, I guess, all right enough. So that they could eventually do the spell. Mm-hmm. So that was going on too. The other hallmark of a DC event is we have to have something where the where like the U.S. hero and the communist hero have a moment where they're like, "This isn't just for the USSR and the USA. This is for Earth," which they definitely did in Crisis. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah. Gosh, Flash was real pouty about it. Flash, Flash. This is Wally West. Flash. Yeah. He is the most pouty in this crossover. He yeah. is such a sad sack. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't want to work with those weirdos. He wanted to work with his friends, the Titans. He did. However, port- and then he did try to go and rescue Donna Troy when they get into New Olympus. And my favorite part of New Olympus is it's basically the Benny Hill show. Everybody's just <laughs> running around and falling all over the yeah, place. Flash and Starman just like, like collide. Into each other and they're like, things are disorienting. And it's like... <laughs> they can't get anything done. They've all had like four be- four beers. Mm-hmm. There's puppets that got rolling pins. <laughs> it's just completely silly. But so Donna Troy's husband is in this, and I need to talk about him a little bit. This is Terry Long. Terry Long was her college professor. Oh yikes! Yep, and that's all you need to know about Terry Long. <laughs> <laughs> Just, just yikes. Yeah. <laughs> um, some, uh, some other podcasts that tend to rate characters and talk about char- characters in a way that we don't. He's pretty low because <laughs> he's like just kind of a creep. <laughs> uh, he married Donna when she was like twenty or something. It's yeah, yeah. So I'm glad they did. we saw him, and then he's like not important. Like he didn't even come up to Donna Troy and or anything, or like try to really empathize with her in any meaningful way. He's kind she's... of in the wrap up of like, "Hey, you were asleep for three days. Glad you're back. Glad you're back, man. That that like entire crossover of agony that was rough. Remember when Pariah like appeared in your like your chest armor? That was weird. <laughs> he he popped up in bed too. <laughs> he popped up in bed. Yeah, poor Pariah just really wants to die. He shows up again. That's another hallmark that I wanted to mention. We get Lady Quark, Harbinger, and Pariah. Pariah at least was in the beginning of this. Harbinger comes out of completely nowhere. Was she in a tie-in? She must have been in a tie-in. I don't know. I hadn't. I recall trying to look and didn't see anything. But she I was, was kind of hoping for another opportunity to do some monitor tapes. Yeah, there's just she doesn't. She just she uses her power of being in several places at once, but that's really it. Yeah. And she, pa- power of knowing things. 
Yeah, because she does tend to know things. Because then... she, she's responsible for the monitor tapes, cataloging everything that happens on the entire universe and all the universes. She knows it all. Yep. From her her uh, background in being adopted by an alien and also <laughs> amateur radio. <laughs> Those two things combined give you the perfect qualifications to cataloging the end of the universe. <laughs> that then ended, and then you're still there. I'm guessing some of these people can't remember Crisis because you couldn't remember the Crisis. That was the whole deal with the Crisis. Oh, so but then they Harbing- remembered Pariah and Harbinger, though. They did. Comics. <laughs> okay. But yeah, Harbinger knows things, but is also kind of a glorified set of walkie-talkies. Mm-hmm. And Lady Quark is telling Pariah, who we find out his name is Masa. Right? That's a... That's a that's a name. He sounds like a Sesame Street character, <laughs> or like a just a Muppet. Oh, he'd be the saddest. He's like a cross between Eeyore and a Muppet. I'm just imagining a little Muppet Pariah with the cape and, ah, Pariah, you're on in ten. Uh, try not to be such a downer this time. All right, bye. <laughs> it's time to play the music. <laughs> it's time to light the lights. Little smile, please. <laughs> Pryor, you're really being a bummer. Maybe less tears. <laughs> All right, which Muppet are you being? I don't know. <laughs> oh, boy, we're getting silly. Uh, I would love the idea of DC Muppets. I think that would be just fantastic. Oh, why is that not a crossover we could cover? A DC and the Muppets? DC I don't know. and the Muppets. That sounds like it's a thing that should have happened. Yeah, at some point. For a while, Marvel did Muppets comics. There is a Muppet Babies omnibus. Ah, oh, that's what I... I'm like, there's an intersection between Muppets and comic books. I knew, I just knew it. Well, and now they're like, what... They're like all owned by Disney to some extent, right? So you'd think they could really do some Marvel Muppets. Oh. Uh, I really want DC Muppets because I want Harbinger to pop up and then like also be like popping up from the ceiling and in Muppet form. I think that'd be delightful. Would they be better Muppets or better like just like on Sesame Street? Those are Muppets. What? Okay. I thought they were like special Sesame Street Muppets. Like not like Muppet Show Muppets. Sesame Street Muppets. I think they're all considered equally Muppets. Oh. Good to know. We have a lot of Muppet equivalency. I just love the little Sesame Street sketches that are like Harry Potter or Game of Thrones or all those things. Why we could have, we could have some superhero comics intersection there. Just just a little bit. I think that I think they might have done it on the on on Sesame Street. Readers, if you know what episode of Sesame Street there is. A DC or Marvel sketch, please, please, I'm begging you, send me send me the title of the show, a link. Oh, I need that in my life. But yeah, poor Pariah just really wants to die. And uh, he thought he might be able to this time. But if he were to die, everybody would die. And people shamed him about it. So he felt bad. Now he won't die. <laughs> and that's even in the last page. Like him just going, cool, I guess I get to see all the other crises. So we get some sort of phantom strangery narration mm. and it's such as fate or something. I mean, given that I don't think we see Pariah in much current DC stuff, I, I'm guessing he he's finally 
met his end. At some point. We've had, like, there's been, like, so many multiverses since then. Yeah. That just, you know, makes makes my little heart happy that he maybe finally found peace. I know he comes back as a zombie at some point. Oh, poor Pariah. <laughs> I just can't get it. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, this was a... This was a unique crossover to cover, but I think we should probably get into accolades before we do our Twitter questions. All right. Accolades. All right, Christy, I got a best line and I want to tell it to you. All right. Give it to me. This is Phantom Stranger talking um, specifically to, I believe, Animal Man. And he says... Kind of what I'm thinking, which is, you have your part to play in this convoluted drama, and I have mine. <laughs> and him calling it a convoluted drama, I'm like, yeah, true. Yeah, that 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 one's pretty good. It's and he just like he just like pops out. He's just like, hey, I gotta I gotta go do other things. <laughs> right? Was that yours too? No, it was not. No, no. Uh, so my best line comes from Doctor Fate, uh, who says this as we are. As Diana is being birthed again from from the clay, and they're like, "I don't know how you how you knew knew how to do all this or how to go about it." And Doctor Fate says, "I've always relied on the kindness of strangers, phantom strangers." Yeah, that's the part that was really good. <sighs> it's like uh, it's like so dad jokey too. Yep, the best. So, what was your coolest moment? Uh, my coolest moment, I really enjoyed the dead heroes coming back as skeletons. I thought that was a lot of fun and a fun little, you know, the the last crossover, the heroes came back and they did good stuff. And now we've got all these skeleton heroes coming back and uh, they're doing the bad stuff. Plus, it gave us an opportunity for a George Perez crowd scene. Yeah. Also, some of those skeletons are like curvy. Yeah, I'm they're not... clearly skeletons, but like, mm, they're skeletons in face only. Yep. Because they're still muscly yeah. and like voluptuous in some cases. You know, I I hope when I'm in that state of decay, I look that good too. You just want skeleton face. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> what, is, what is your coolest moment? Mine's real dorky. I just liked hearing the explanation of where Shazam got all of the god powers from. You would. I was like, yes. You would. This, this lore. <laughs> it's so juicy. Uh, <laughs> sure. <laughs> what about your greatest hero? My greatest hero is going to have to go to Harmonia, but kind of tied with Son of Vulcan. They kind of knew what they were doing, but they both paid the ultimate sacrifice mm. in that they both died in this crossover. But they kind of did the most good with the most at stake. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah? Mm -hmm. I'm giving my greatest hero to to a bit character here. Okay. Who was very important. Uh-huh. Menelipe. The Oracle. For diving in the way of the of the bolt? Yeah, of Cersei's bolt that was, you know, trying to uh, kill Hippolyta before she could bring back Diana. That was pretty important. It was a clutch moment. I do like the... Menelipe. Menelipe <laughs> coming out of left field. She just, she got there. 
uh, unfortunately <laughs> paying the ultimate price. Which I think if we'd read all 50 or whatever issues of Wonder Woman would it be It would have like been more really compelling. <laughs> I'm like, cool, I've seen this woman for like three pages. Um, Superman, the only good thing he, he does in this crossover is get hit with most of the bolt, mm-hmm. which apparently would have blown up the entire island if it would have hit with full force. And then right. he feels bad later that he didn't just take the whole bolt. All right. Well, silly villainy. The Crusher Creel Award for silly villainy goes, in my case, to Cersei because she has this big goofy grin on her face whenever she throws that javelin back at Javelin. <laughs> and it's like some sort of like kid in a candy store look. And it was, I'm not sure if it Why was intentional. Why is she good at throwing javelins? Well, she does it with her mind, I thought. Oh, that's right. Or spell stuff. But she's okay, just that- kind of like. <laughs> she has this goofy grin on her face. I was like, that's oh, weird. Oh, readers, I wish you could have seen the little smiley ahead bob that Chris just did. Gonna, uh, do, gonna, do, gonna do a stabby murder. Just, yeah. Ugh. And you already know mine is uh, Cersei eating her minions. She felt like chicken tonight. Chicken tonight. <laughs> uh. All right, we ready to get into some listener questions? Yeah, we have three listener questions. First one is from friend of the show, Dan Grote. Did this story challenge you with regard to how you talk about bad slash confusing crossovers? Yes. Do you feel like you need to switch to one that one or both of you enjoy as a palate cleanser? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Oh, that is a really great question. Because, like, our, our aim is not to just cover like things we things don't we, like not even to just cover the things that we're really big fans of we're we're covering the crossovers for you the things that you need to know <laughs> so yeah we'd like to break it up with some things that are a little bit more enjoyable but we'll continue to tackle you know whatever our patrons tell us to do yeah throw enough money at us we'll cover whatever terrible crossover you want <laughs> I don't think this is necessarily bad. I think it was rushed and structured poorly, but I think if we would have gotten the full story, it might have been a little bit more interesting. But 30 parts is just like, that's so much. Right. And I just don't think you can have issues this long with that much text on the page. Yeah. That's 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 also kind I- of a bygone era thing. Yeah. I had to take a break in the middle of each issue and I'd stop and I'm like, gosh, how many pages am I in? I'm like... Oh, 22. Cool. That's uh, roughly one comic. Mm-hmm. I am one comic into this <laughs> entire comic. Um, I had to really dig up some yucks because I didn't want to just like say stuff, like just like literally cover it verbatim. But I recognized that it's not, it was not an inherently goofy crossover. Yeah. I mean, so I was, DC's not huge on the goofs. They're not as huge on the goofs. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll get some goofs. Uh, I, I, even Crisis had a little bit of goofs. Yeah. But, yeah. So, Dan, yes, and we are covering one that I actually I love right after this, and I will announce it when we're all done with questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, next from friend of the show, Robert Secundus, now that you've gone through two God-centric crossovers, do you see any major differences in how DC and Marvel use their mythic or myth-adjacent characters? So, I feel like in Chaos War, the gods were not characters quite as much as they are. Yeah, in, true. In this, like, 
DC wasn't afraid to like really have them play a part, whereas in Chaos War they're like, we're going to hide up here or just be a wise voice every now and again. True. I do think that it's almost just based on what the most popular god heroes are. The Greek and Roman gods seem pretty important in DC because Wonder Woman is like one of the trinity. She is mm-hmm. one of the most popular heroes. Whereas Thor is kind of the member of the the Marvel trinity of Iron Man, Captain America, and right. Thor. So all the Norse heroes are a lot more interesting and popular and used more like you see so much loki in marvel and we saw loki for like one panel in this crossover and he looked like a goofball <laughs> oh my gosh um, oh my gosh seeing thor and loki in this i was just like no it's wrong but the way they handle them i mean wonder woman wonder woman has quite a bit to do with those gods but i guess thor does too so it's kind of hard to say that it's like not pretty equivalent but yeah, I think you're right in that the gods were were kind of in the thick of things more in mm-hmm. this crossover. Um, but to be honest, somewhat recently, I don't feel like the gods have... You know, right now in Marvel, we have an event literally involving the Norse gods, whereas I've read some recent Wonder Woman, and I don't remember the gods taking like a huge role in it, mm-hmm. as opposed to her just being god-adjacent. I do think that Wonder Woman tends to involve herself more in earthly affairs than Thor necessarily does. A lot of Thor's adventures tend to be kind of out in space or on Asgard and sometimes in Midgard to some extent. Mm-hmm. But even War of the Realms is like, the the problem is it's finally all hitting Earth. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I guess that's kind of my answer. Which, I kind of feel as though the gods... Now, I don't, I don't know. Do you feel in which DC or Marvel, which are the gods more fallible in? Because I felt they were more they were more flawed in this than they were in Chaos War. Mm, I don't know if I could if I could give a one to one comparison. In Chaos That's War, fair. they all like hid instead of they they didn't seem to care mm-hmm. about the affairs of mortals. But in this, they're like fighting for dominance over mortals, kinda. And some of them, like, really dig into mortal affairs. Right. So, mm, I don't know. Maybe it's not. Maybe it is just what I said earlier, that they were more involved in more characters in their own right. Uh-huh. It's interesting, though, with DC, when some of their characters are almost godlike anyway. That's true. And there's, they're in, like, there's the new gods. They literally have an entire pantheon of made-up gods. Sure. So... And Marvel doesn't... Well, no, Marvel does have that. They have the Eternals, basically, because Kirby created both of them. Uh, a lot of times, Marvel and DC kind of copy off of each other. I don't know if No! That, <laughs> I don't know if that was necessarily no the case. Uh, Wonder Woman obviously didn't copy off of Thor, and I'm fairly certain Thor was not originally meant to be a copy off of Wonder Woman. But a lot of times, you do God stuff. It doesn't necessarily tend to get as different as you think it would be. All right. What's our last question? Our last question is from friend of the show, Nier Ravel, who suggested this crossover. Nier asks, how mad are you at me? <laughs> we, are, we are not mad at you, Nier. We, we, we took this on ourselves. Uh-huh. But seriously, the real question, after reading this, do you now want to go back and read George Perez's Wonder Woman run to learn how we got here? Uh, I want to anyway, because it's apparently supposed to be like a seminal run and um, kind of digs into Wonder Woman in a a cool way. And a a lot of people still like it. So it must've held up pretty well. Mm -hmm. Whereas I feel like a lot of um, female centric books do not hold up very well. 
I would. I don't think I would exclude it from putting it on my list of things to read. But I'm going to be honest about my list of things to read. It's long, and not a lot of things get checked off of it. Things get added to it faster than I check them off. Yeah, that's true. Whereas I think I'm. I think I'm getting there with mine. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I feel like I tread water with the comics that I read for our podcast uh-huh. and. Uh, the ones that I really want to keep up with and read on a regular basis so they don't get canceled. <laughs> hey, we still bought them. Yeah, they get canceled anyway. Yep. Not enough people buy them. <sighs> All right. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I had my flash moment there. All right. Well, Christy, do you want to announce the next crossover that we're going to be doing? Yeah. The next crossover that we will be doing is Battle of the Atom. Not the podcast. Not the podcast. Although, if you want them on, let us know. Yeah, let them know. Let them know. Say go. Say go on Chris's. Just, mm-hmm. just, just at Xavier Files and at Arthur Stacy, and just say go on Chris's. Mm-hmm. I think that'll go over really well. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we thank all of you for joining us on this long, strange trip through a very convoluted Wonder Woman crossover. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you if, if you really enjoyed this particular episode, please go and rate us on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever sort of podcast app you have. We love those five-star reviews. We'll even read them out on the show, even without you giving us that Patreon money. That's how much we consider them important. Mm-hmm. And speaking of Patreon, if you want to be a part of helping us produce this show please head on over to patreon.com slash Chris's pod. And we would love to have you join our illustrious list of patrons. Yes. Um, if you aren't into the whole recurring payment thing, we still have a Kofi www.ko-fi.com slash Chris's on infinite earths, where you can contribute amounts in the $3 increment section from $3 to 33 you can't know more than that. No, you can do you can do tons more than that if you wanted. But uh, we'll also read your name out on the show for giving us um, a contribution. We really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. If you want to get a hold of us, you can email us on chrisisoninfiniteearths at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter or Facebook at Chris's Pod. And we always love to hear from you. We get very giddy when people at us or send us email because they've only been nice so far. Mm-hmm. That that is kind of my goal in life to have enough people listen to us that all the feedback we get is nice. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> well, uh, we're gonna look forward to covering Battle of the Atom for you next time, the uh, X Men crossover with future X Men. I'm very excited. It's one of my favorites. I'm excited to read it. Yep. Put it on the list. <laughs> this one's gotta go to the top. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right, readers, and until next time. Slay your enemies, and all you desire shall be yours.